The Cappuccino Podcast brought to you in association with Tactical Solutions. For all your tactical solutions, check them out at www.tactical.co.nz. It's that time again, so grab yourself a cup of joe and get ready for the Cappuccino with Constable Brian. Now, my guest today on the Cappuccino podcast is Chanel Mora, who is the author illustrator of a brand new book called I Am Autistic. She was diagnosed with autism at 21 years of age, and then life finally began to make sense for her. Uh, I Am Autistic is a book uh, for everybody to learn a little bit more about autism, uh, for those who are diagnosed, who are not yet diagnosed, um, and maybe for people who have autism to explain and make senses of their experiences in the world. Chanel lives in Wellington. She enjoys bubble tea, which I had to look up and find out what bubble tea was about. Oh, you're missing out. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't sound that flash. Uh, Lego and sitting in the rain and one of her key abilities, one of the things that she loves to do, and it's evident in this book, is learning things about autism. So Chanel, welcome to the Cappuccino podcast. Thank you. Okay, so we start off with a pop quiz, and I'm going to ask you the very first question is this. What's the hardest Lego set you've ever done? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, they're actually all sitting next to me. Um, it's probably going to have to be um, the Lego Phoenix. How many pieces? I'm not sure how many pieces. It just has a lot of moving parts. Oh, my God. Oh, you yeah, know, I'd, I'd be avoiding it. What's your favourite bubble tea flavour? Um, mango black tea with lychee popping boba. All right. Uh, the last picture you drew was what? The last picture I drew, uh, it was of a friend. I did a digital piece for her at them. Awesome. Sorry. That's all good. Uh, the last book that you read, and you can't count your own. Uh, I've started reading Hannah Gadsby's new book. Uh, it's not yet released. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's all good. Do you collect anything? collecting thing. Lego. There you go. That's all good. Okay, so for those people that don't know, autism is a neurodevelopmental condition. It relates to and involves the development of a person's nervous system. People with autism have a nervous system which has developed maybe a little bit differently or functions differently to what most people, what, who, what we call neurotypicals. Uh, it can affect their learning, the movement, the sense, the thought processes, their awareness, their memories, uh, their internal physical states, things such as body temperature. Chanel, what do you think the biggest misconception, and I say this because, you know, I've got a family member with autism. What, what do you think is the biggest misconception about people who have autism or autistic people? I think the biggest misunderstanding or misconception is that um, being autistic is hard um, and that being autistic is bad. It's not. Um, I think the difficulties that come with being autistic are a result of the structure of society, not the fact that I'm different. Mm -hmm. yeah. I once heard somebody say, uh, a man who uh, identified as being autistic, he said, it's like living in a square world when you're around people. Yes. Yeah. 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 When you see TV shows or movies like Atypical or The Good Doctor or Rain Man, all of which have people who have got autistic characters in them, do you get annoyed with the way that 
the, the, lead, the lead characters are portrayed? Or, or is any awareness better than none? Uh, I certainly get annoyed sometimes around the way it's portrayed because, I mean, a lot of the time it is portrayed very negatively or very stereotypically. It doesn't cover um, a wide range of representation. It's also frustrating when there are opportunities for autistics to play those characters, but instead they're played by neurotypicals. But uh, from an entertainment perspective, I did really enjoy Atypical and The Good Doctor. Um, some of the other shows I'm less of a fan of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I hear you. Yeah, um, and it's. I think it's really neat that lots of people um, have started identifying with Sam, and some people can actually look at Sam from Atypical and go, um, "That's what I've got." Which kind of, yeah, kind of it, I guess. When you finally got your diagnosis, was it a relief, and did it explain why things might have been so difficult for you beforehand? Absolutely, it was such a relief to receive that diagnosis, and suddenly so many things started making place, even little things that I didn't even think connected in, like I don't feel dizzy when I spin, it's just such a random thing, but it's explained by being autistic. Yeah, yeah. I, I once went to a workshop where um, a gentleman was there, and his little boy was autistic, and they started talking about autistic traits, it was an introduction to autism, I think it was actually <laughs> run by Autism New Zealand. And he started crying behind me. And I was like, uh-oh, something's not good. And I turned around to him and I said, what's wrong? And he said, I think I might be autistic because I've got all these traits. And we stayed, stayed in touch and he got a diagnosis. And he said it was just like a key opening a door. He said it, all of a sudden, yeah. everything was explained. So when you started writing and illustrating, because that's a huge task in itself, I am autistic, what did you want to achieve? I was initially actually making it for myself because when I got diagnosed, there was just all of these little bits and pieces that were all over the place. And I was trying to put it all together in one place for me to process things. I did try and find some books that kind of summarized autism and I didn't find anything. Um, apart from maybe the reason I jumped, there's quite a little bit in there. Um, but yeah, so mostly I was just putting it together for myself and I posted a couple of the pages on one of my autistic groups and they suddenly started asking me when it was getting released when I was publishing it and so I started going down that path but uh, yeah I was going to self-publish because I didn't think many people would want it um, and someone else actually submitted it to the Wellington and they sent it to some publishers and so very quickly it was picked up. Awesome it's, yeah. it's such a cool book um did it change as you got more and more into the book, um, explaining all the all the what and the where's and the why's and the who's and the because um, uh, Temple Grandin, Doctor Temple Grandin, who I know that you'll know, um, yes. she says that if you meet one person with autism, you've just met one person with autism. Yes, yeah, which is a hundred percent true. And for you to have all the traits that you've got in your book, you'd you'd never make it out of the house, I'm betting. But you, and you don't have all of those traits. Um, so was it really difficult to? to find out about some of the traits that you don't have in particular? Um, I was very careful about that. I did uh, get a lot of feedback from a lot of other autistics and some other professionals. And I looked into the diagnostic criteria um, and I just got feedback from other people who are autistic. But for traits that I don't experience myself, I've been very careful not to say too much on them because I don't feel that it's my place. So, for example, the page about being nonverbal, I've included my experiences, but I've not spoken about what it's like to actually be 
full-time non-verbal non-speaking because that's not my place. Yep. Um, I've made it so that people can add their own things in hopes that I've gotten most of them, but not overstepping my boundaries. And that's one of the cool things about the book, because like you say, it's it's it was originally for you, but now it's for other people and their families and their friends and their workmates. But you've left lots of boxes, empty boxes in the book so that um, maybe people who, who can communicate will write some of their, maybe some of their stimming activities or something like that in the book. So it really does become, even though it starts off as Chanel's book, it, it actually becomes your own book by the end of it, which yeah. is really cool. So most people have no idea how hard it is to be an autistic person in today's world and how alone and out of place uh, you feel. What's something that people could do to make things easier, do you think, Chanel? Just like off the top. Um, one of the things I've loved the most since finding out I was autistic and being able to explain to my friends is that um, when they do invite me places, because I, I love being invited places, um, they make sure that I understand that I don't have to come. And if I do come, I don't have to stay for the whole time. Um, because initially, like before I got diagnosed, people just stopped inviting me places because I would often turn them down for sensory reasons. Um, so now that they know my difficulties, yeah, they just, they're like, hey, this is happening. You're invited. We want you there, but you don't have to stay. Um, you don't have to come. We're not going to be offended if you're not there. As you said, I am autistic. Disabled and disability are not shameful negative terms. They express a disadvantage and mm -hmm. a need for changes to be made to accommodate that person because of the structure of the society that you live in. Now, autism is often referred to as a hidden disability. Mm -hmm. um, and I often hear that about my family member. It drives me insane. Well, they don't look disabled. Um, <laughs> yeah. Does it really annoy you when you hear this? Or are you like most people, like me, and I just take a big breath and go, here, let me help you understand a little bit more about this. Uh, yeah, I do take the opportunity to um, try to educate people um, because when I first got diagnosed, before I started speaking out, I'd say, I've just been diagnosed with autism and they would say, oh, but Asperger's right. And I'm like, well, that's no longer a term we use. And they say, oh, but high functioning. And I'm like, again, not a term we use. It's not really reflective of my needs as an autistic person. It doesn't represent how I manage the world. And it's kind of used to um, invalidate <laughs> the diagnosis. Um, yeah, the whole, you don't look disabled, but it is a hidden disability. <laughs> and it's like, if someone says you don't look disabled, it's kind of like, well, what do you think that looks like? What does disabled look like? Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. And just before we go on any further, and just to, uh, for our listeners especially, everybody is on the spectrum at some stage. Uh, when we had uh, my family's members diagnosis, the doctor there said, if you can remember the certain TV program that was in a certain TV series that is your favourite TV program, then chances are that you are on the spectrum if you uh, are that way inclined. Now, Dr Temple Grandin, who we've spoken about before, uh, she's a professor of animal science at Colorado State University, is autistic. She identifies as being autistic. She's an advocate. She does some incredible TED Talks. Um, she says rigid and academic and social expectations could wind up stifling a mind that might struggle to conjugate a verb, but one day could take us to distant stars. Can you give the people that are listening, Sean, Chanel, how, just an example of how hard it was for you at school? School. <laughs> um, 
I am a very academic person. So academically, I did well, except for when I misunderstood the assignments and people wouldn't understand why I misunderstood it. But I think my main struggle with school was the social aspect and being perceived as weird or I got bullied for doing my schoolwork or I would get I would annoy people by asking too many questions in class. It got to a point where teachers would actually just ignore me at the start of class and then come and answer all of my questions afterwards because I just had too many. Um, but yeah, I mostly in terms of the social side, I mostly just ended up socializing with teachers because I didn't fit with any of the students. Yeah. And then I think it all got quite a bit too much around my second to last year of school and I ended up dropping out. Um, yeah. Yeah. That'll nail it. Right. So Daryl Hannah, Anthony Hopkins, Charles Darwin, Bill Gates, Jerry Seinfeld and Elon Musk are all people who have been diagnosed as being on the spectrum. Why do you think neurotypicals, and for those people listening, that's the supposedly normal people, have issues recognizing the contributions that are made that can be made by people who identify as autistic even now uh i do think part of it um, and this is not the entire reason but i think part of it is because previously the diagnoses were split into asperger's and autism and asperger's were those who were able to function in a society at least outwardly um and those who are autistic were the ones who had higher support needs or weren't able to present so functionable in society. So I think that's part of it, um, where people might recognise Asperger's as able to contribute um, and perceive autism quite negatively. Um, it's just a big misunderstanding, I think. Uh, and a lot of people just... Yeah, I don't know. They perceive it as this awful thing that's going to tear their child down and they're not aware of what it actually is. Yeah. And like you say, there's a there's a page in your book and I'm not going to um, mention too much about your Well, I, I'm going to mention about this page, but I won't read it verbatim. But you have a great page on some of the amazing positives about being autistic. And yeah, you're not wrong. Um, so one of the big things that can cause issues for people with autism is not being, uh, sorry, one of the big things that can cause issues is people not being mindful of their language. Uh, mm -hmm. Sometimes happens to my family member. If you say something like, can you lend me a hand? Or could you just hop over here for a second? Yeah. Uh, and then you mentioned in the book about having clear and precise instructions, a need for rule to make sense of things and to keep you out of trouble as well, which is really important yeah. as a police officer, he says. People need to say exactly what they, they mean, don't they, to you, to make it easier for you. No vague plans, no surprises, just Chanel, we're going to be at the pitches at eight o'clock on Wednesday and we're going to see that movie. Does that make things a heck of a lot easier for you? Significantly. Um, if things are said how they're meant, um, it avoids a lot of trouble. And I, like, I've gotten into so much trouble for misinterpreting things or taking things too literally, especially around um, when you struggle with your mental health, questions can be very vague and those questions can get you into trouble, especially with police or mental health services. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I have to be honest, Ed, and I say this as a police officer, I, I've been to uh, mental health call outs um, where I've spoken to people and I said to them, how are you feeling? And 
I often think to myself, do I mean, how are you feeling today? How are you feeling in the last week? How have you felt this year? So yeah, I completely get you. What's some of the things that you find totally overwhelming, bearing in mind that everybody is different, like we've spoken about, but some of the things that will just make you either uh, have a meltdown or just completely shut down and be completely overwhelmed? Um, for me, there's two main things. Um, sensory inputs, but mostly from sounds. Like mm -hmm. noises can just completely overwhelm me, especially if there's a, like, a lot throughout the day. Um, and unexpected changes. And I specifically put unexpected there because I can manage changes if I'm given enough warning to adjust my schedule around it. But if something changes when I'm not expecting it to and it's too soon um, or too late, it's very hard for me to manage because all of my plans are based on each other. Um, so if I have social plans, the rest of my day will be to not be socializing. And so if that person cancels, then I've not met my needs for the rest of the day. So, so to give people um, some idea of your thought process and what's going on with your sensory issues and everything else, if I said to you, hey, Chanel, after we finish this, podcast i'm going to drive down to wellington i'll be there in about five minutes because i've got a super fast car and i'm going to pick you up and we'll go down to the dairy and we're going to buy easter eggs for all the kids at a school what goes through your mind at the moment that is very quick and i need to have time to get ready for that <laughs> um but i mean for me specifically i also have adhd so i'm not entirely against spontaneous plans mm -hmm. i think if someone were to say to me, so let's take the plan you've just said, I'm going to come down, I'll be there in five minutes. If someone said to me, I'm going to come down and we're going to do this, but didn't give me a time, that would really, really stress me out. Um, I could I could probably cope with the, I'll be there in five minutes. I'd probably prefer at least half an hour warning. Yep. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all good. Now, there's lots of aids to um, help autistic people now as well like for instance uh, my family member will very often wear noise cancelling headphones to shut out yeah. the sounds from uh, shopping malls and places like that you'll see um, people wearing sunglasses in the shopping mall it's not because they think that they're super cool it's because maybe the light uh, may hurt their eyes um, fidget spinners and uh, bubble poppers even though they're mainstream now um, they're obviously uh, aids do you use things like weighted blankets and the such like as well Chanel to help you Yes, so I have a weighted blanket, I have a rocket board, um, I have noise cancelling headphones as well as loop earplugs, um, and I have jewellery, uh, which is a silicone jewellery that you can chew on. Um, I have lots of fidget toys, um, yeah, all sorts of things, but yeah, for when I'm going out in public, the headphones and the earplugs are really good, um, and then I'll come home and use my weighted blanket and the rocket board. Yeah, I have to say, I didn't realize about the benefits of a weighted blanket until I crept under my family members and I was like, oh, this is fantastic. So um, there is so much going on. There's cognitive overload, there's sensory issues, there's uh, routines not being stuck to, uh, processing conversations, listening to other people behind you and in front of you and everything else, that it's obvious uh, when you have a family member who's got autism or you know somebody who has autism, that sooner or later, an overload or a meltdown that's going to happen. What do you do to calm down when you can find yourself beginning to elevate through the steps? To prevent a meltdown, what I'd normally do is have, if, if I'm going to be out 
in loud environments, for example, I'll have time before and afterwards that's just quiet by myself with my weighted blanket, with stuff like that. If I find that I'm reaching that point of overload, I generally first try and figure out what's triggering it. Typically, it is overstimulation and my then go-to would be to try and get home as quick as possible and sit down with my weighted blanket and just chill out. Um, but sometimes that's not always an option. No. Um, so in that case, I would just do everything I could to minimize the stimulation. So headphones, earplugs, until I can come home. If it's something like um, cognitive overload, what I would normally do is find someone who would be willing for me to list out all of the things that are stressing me out and then help me to make a plan for each one of those. Um, if it's executive functioning issues, um, I have someone body double. So someone sits with me and tells me what thing I need to do next um, or just is there while I get things done. Mm -hmm. um, that's all I can think of right now. Uh, hey, that's more than enough. That's all good. What can people help uh, people if they see somebody having a meltdown and it's clear they may have a, a handout card or a medical alert bracelet or something else like that, and they are a stranger, what do you think people could do to help somebody who's maybe even close to a meltdown or a, to a, a sensory shutdown or something like that? Um, so I have had, I, I typically have shutdowns, but I have had some meltdowns in public. Um, and what that normally looks like is either an asthma attack or an anxiety attack in which, in both cases, um, people's reaction is to come closer and surround you and try and help you, and that's not particularly helpful. Um, fortunately, in my case, when it's happened, I've had a friend there who's realized, and they've just kind of like blocked everyone out and then slowly encouraged me to get out of the space um, because that one of my things is that when I melt down or shut down, I freeze and collapse on the floor, and I cannot do anything. Um, so what's really helpful for me in those times is for the person to engage in my special interest or something that I like to talk about um, and that can briefly distract for long enough to get out of the space. Now most, uh, lots of, oh, sorry, autistic people often use masking to hide their autistic traits by mimicking or creating scripts for different settings, um, which can be exhausting and you say in your book that sometimes you've memorized upwards of 2,000 words to survive a social situation um, yeah at the end of the day uh, you and I and other people who are part of the community I guess we want people to accept people for who they are not what we want them to be so uh -huh. if somebody introduces themselves and identifies as being autistic what's the best thing a neurotypical a so-called normal person can do to help um uh, the thing that I've liked since being diagnosed is when I stim, people don't make a big deal about it anymore. Where previously, before I was diagnosed, if I stimmed, people would copy me or laugh at me or, you know, kind of just make jokes about it. But now it's kind of just normal. People let me be. Um, if I'm wearing headphones, people, for me, uh, people understand that they can keep talking to me and I'm still paying attention. Sometimes people who are wearing headphones do not want to be spoken to, but I'm an extrovert. So it's fine. That's um, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just allowing people to be themselves and checking in that they're that they are being themselves. So people have been held holding accountable, being like, 
hey, this isn't, this doesn't seem like it's you. Are you masking? You don't have to mask around me. Um, yeah, people just checking in that I'm not trying to be something else to fit what I think their expectations are. Yeah, and like you say, that can be exhausting because that's like um, playing another person. Yes. You're being yourself underneath. When you um, finally unmask, and I've spoken to lots of autistics that I know as well who have unmasked, they say it's like this huge weight coming off their shoulders and they can actually yes. be themselves. Did you feel the same yeah. way? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the way I've tried to explain it to people is that for 21 years, I was aware of every single movement my body made, every tone change, every word I said, every facial movement um, and facial expression. And I was very consciously choosing every aspect of what I was doing and saying. Um, and it was usually me having taken pieces of every person and in, in interaction I'd been in and then making that into a person and being that. Um, and I did not know that not everyone was constantly aware of that and they were just being. And so I would get confused as to why people would cho choose certain gestures and then not be able to explain why they chose that gesture. Um, so, yeah, it has been such a relief to not do that. I mean, I'm still aware of it sometimes, but um, realizing that I don't have to consciously choose every single thing I'm doing is a relief. And then the scripting is very exhausting as well. And so I've been trying to stop doing that um, by, if I find myself scripting, I will write down what I'm scripting and I will either send it straight to the person who it's meant to be for, or I will just leave it written and then stop thinking about it. Yeah, because- It's harder said than You're not <laughs> wrong, but, and I mean, as you get older, your scripting gets better, but to give you an example, um, and I know that you'll be completely familiar with this, um, I'm going to say young, young, young autistic people, they will very often have a script that says, hi, how are you? Um, yes. How's things today? Um, I'm good, thank you. And they'll get to about the sixth or seventh question and then there's this awkward silence yes. and they've run out of the end of the script. Do you find that happening to you or not? To a degree. I think my scripting is a little bit more intense in the sense that I script entire conversations, including the other person's responses. Um, and typically people tend to stick to the responses because people are very predictable, but sometimes they don't stick to the responses and then my whole script gets thrown off. Um, <laughs> and that can be very frustrating. Yeah. Now, there will be lots of first responders worldwide listening to this podcast. So what I've done is I've gone and researched some of the, the hints that they suggest that could help uh, if ever we as first responders attend an incident where somebody who identifies as being autistic, how we can make things a lot easier. So the first thing is this, learn about autism. Yes. Uh, Chanel's book is an awesome place to start, just quietly. And I'm not saying that because you're here either, but it is, it's a great place to get started. Keep the situation as calm as possible. Use the right language. And by the right language, I'm meaning, don't say to somebody, can you hop over here or... Could you just pull that out and come over here for a second? Um, Chanel, when you have your shutdowns and you are on the ground, can you hear what's going on around you or do you have sensory shutdown as well? Um, it depends. Sometimes I can hear and be aware of what's going on. Other times I am entirely not aware of anything that's going on around me. Yeah. So, and feel free, 
not to answer this if you don't wish, but have you heard people standing around you saying, oh, she's faking or oh, she's just hemming it up for that type of stuff or not? No. Oh, that's perfect. Well, that's a nice thing, I guess. Um, turn off the sirens and the flashing lights because if people have sensory overload, those things are just really painful. Use supports and visual aids to explain. And this is a big one. Give the person extra time to process and respond to what's being said to them. How often do you get bombarded by stuff and then, uh, like you say in the book sometimes, um, sometimes uh, autistic people will be so overloaded, they'll actually look you straight in the face or look down and say, I don't know. And they're not being funny, they just don't know. Do you, do you find that happens often or not? Yes, very often. My answer to a lot of things is I don't know, especially if people ask multiple questions at once before allowing you to respond. Um, well, like, I think the one that people don't understand is if they ask you how you are and you say, I don't know, they don't seem to understand that as an option. It's like, well, you have to know how you're doing. You have to know what you're feeling. Yeah. Um, but I don't. <laughs> no. no. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's just exception, uh, accepting it. Um, use direct and clear questions and don't worry about the person not making eye contact with you. Um, if, if you are an autistic or you identify as an autistic um, or you have another diagnosis for that matter, please make sure that you disclose your diagnosis as early as you can. Um, uh, maybe with a medic alert bracelet or something else, it may be a handout card. Um, now the question I'm going to ask you, Chanel, because it's such a good book is, and I guess everybody in the community and I'm, I'm guessing you're getting lots of people email you now and say, oh, this is exactly how I was feeling and blah, blah, blah. Have you got another book coming? Are you thinking about I it? I have started writing another one. Um, I've not told my publishers about it yet. Um, I'm no, sure but I have started thing. writing one because I've been getting a lot of questions around the journey to getting diagnosed and what that was like for me. I mean, even you've asked some of that already. Um, and my story around getting diagnosed is one that is quite intense because mm -hmm. the mental health system responded very negatively to me. Um, and I've had some very awful comments from them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it is one that I would like to share at some point to make, to bring awareness to it, I think. That's, that's awesome. And like you say, um, very often uh, autistic people in mental health, there's a huge gap in there and they don't quite meet eye to eye and the more awareness we can get the better I guess um when when you wrote the book and now that it's out there and it's published do they look even the same or is it just completely different from what you imagined um this is an area I feel really bad about because when I wrote and illustrated the book myself I had already laid it out myself and so I was very averse to any changes that um my publishers wanted to make um, but after a lot of back and forth there are a lot of changes to the book that um the layout specifically the writing's pretty much exactly has, as I had it they allowed me to add a few things um but yeah I did have a bit of a hard time adjusting to the changes of the layout but I'm really happy with it I love how it looks um yeah and there's some really cool stuff that you've done that most people wouldn't even think about like the fact that it's a hardcover book. Can you explain to us why it's a hardcover book? Yes, so that was one of my kind of non-negotiable things. I said to them that I wanted a hardcover because autistics um, are not always very aware of their body. And as a result, they're, they can be a bit rough 
And this book is one that is meant for autistics to be writing in as well as other people, but it is for autistics. Um, so I wanted to be, I wanted the book to be durable for that course. So there'll never ever be a paperback version, will there? There will be, um, because the, I believe the American edition is going to be paperback. Ah, there you go. That's all good. Um, so from the very beginning to handing the final uh, manuscript into the publisher, how long was your journey for the book to come? The book took me six weeks to write and illustrate. There you go. And there's some authors that are listening to this podcast going, six weeks, it took me like six years to get my first book. So congratulations to you. The book is called I Am Autistic. The author is Chanel Mora. It's an essential guide to understanding autism for autistic people, their friends, their family, and their workmates. It's published by Ellen and Unwin. It is available at all good booksellers and online stores. I suggest if you even have a slight inkling of interest, you go and buy it because um, even though she's here, I'd still say it now. It's one of the best books I've ever read on the subject of autism. Uh, Chanel, thank you very much for your time on the Cappuccino podcast today. I am lo so looking forward to that second book when it comes out. All the very best for the future. I suspect you are going to get very busy doing lots of talks and public speaking and everything else. So um, all the best to you. Thank you. After we finished the podcast, Chanel sent me through an email that uh, probably is important for us all to realise. Chanel said to me, I just wanted to send something through to think about in regards to the spectrum. Because autism is a neurotype, not everybody's on the spectrum. If you're autistic, you're on the spectrum, but if you're not autistic, you're not on the spectrum. The reason there's a misconception around that is because people understand spectrum to be linear, but with autism it is not. The autism spectrum is more like a circle where every autistic person has different experiences with different traits, but there's no more or less or mild or severe autism, if that makes sense. Thanks for listening. But please do Constable Brian and I a favour and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on the next Cappuccino podcast. Real people, real stories.